video, welcome to you as well. Uh, so much in the news uh, in the last week or so, uh, the economy and the struggles of that. You have Ukraine and Russia, what's going to happen there? It's kind of scary. Um, we've got the Olympics going on. And of course, tonight we've got the Super Bowl. Are you a Bengals fan or a Rams fan? I heard Rams, really? Okay. As a Browns fan, you've got to choose one or the other. I don't know. It's kind of hard, but uh, I'm going with the Bengals. Also, lost in the news this past week, do you remember the name Bob Saget? About a, just over a month ago, he died suddenly from an accident. 62 years old. Of course, he was the host for America's Funniest Home Videos. When I was a kid, we watched a show called Candid Camera. Maybe some of you watched that. It seems like America's Funniest Home Videos was the, was the successor to that show. And Bob Saget was a phenomenal host, and people loved him. And then also he went on to star in that show, Full House, which I never really got into, but a lot of people did. And uh, so when he died suddenly, just, just around the world, uh, an outpouring of grief because he was so loved. And then, then one of the co-stars in the show Full House, his name was John Stamos, uh, he played the part of Uncle Jesse, I think it was. Um, they were best friends in real life. And so after this sudden accidental death of Bob Saget, John Stamos was recorded as saying something like, I just wish... Bob knew how loved he was because I would sit up at nights on the phone with him trying to convince him just how loved he was. Wow. And you know, as I look around this room and think of friends, I, I just wonder at times, don't we all wonder, am I really loved? Or how lovable am I? And I'm not just talking about friends and family. I'm talking about God, too. Does God really care? Does God love me? And we can have different thoughts go through my mind, like, God must be tired of me after all the things I've done. <laughs> or perhaps, God must be disappointed with me. I mean, all of the opportunities he's given me to nurture my spiritual life, my growth in Christ, and I've squandered so much of it. Or, or maybe something like this, God must not care about me. Look at all of the things that are happening to me right now. He clearly has taken his eye off the ball and has given up on me. So, does God really, does God really care about me? I just finished reading a book, listening to a book uh, by Dr. Lee Warren. Maybe you know his name. He is a neurosurgeon, and he wrote a fabulous book called I've Seen the End of You. And in this book, he wrestles with the things that he sees as a neurosurgeon. And uh, he really, as a surgeon, metaphorically, he tries to stitch together his faith and his doubts. And near the end of the book, he says something like this, paraphrase, that the enemy of our faith is not our doubts. The enemy of our faith is the characterization, the images of God and his son Jesus that media gives us, that culture gives us, that our, that our friends who love to opine but never think that deeply, they love to give us their opinions. And he says, you know, rather, really, to have a robust faith to nurture our faith. 
we need to expose ourselves to the way God has revealed himself, and that is through his word. And that is by looking at the person of Jesus, who is God himself. There are a couple of questions that can lead us into this new six-week teaching series we're starting today. And, and the questions are this. Who is Jesus? I mean, Scripture teaches us that he's fully God, fully human, But who is Jesus, and what is his heart like? What is his deepest heart for his people on their way to heaven? Two profound questions, which led a guy by the name of um, Dane Ortland to write a book called Gentle and Lowly. This is the book that we're using sort of as the outline for our six-week series called Gentle and Lowly. We're looking at the heart of Jesus. In fact, last week when you were here, if you were here, uh, at the very end of the service, we handed this book out to every one per family, one to every individual. And if you did not get this book, there's one waiting for you at the Welcome Center in the lobby. We'd love to give one to you, and we'd love to have you read along with us as we go. Now, uh, if you don't have a book or don't want to read a book or whatever, you can also do this. This is an option. Uh, we, we're connected to with Right Now Media, a fabulous resource. Just follow those steps, and you can watch the video teaching of Gentle and Lowly with Dane Ortland. There's a lot of information there. Actually, the very same information on the slide is in the handout you received this morning. So take that with you. Go home and just follow those steps, and you'll be, you'll be able to access that. All right? Great. So this weekend, as we get into this idea of Jesus, gentle and lowly, the heart of God, we're starting with this. How is Jesus for us? And if you're following along the book, these are the chapters we'll kind of dip into here and there. How is Jesus for us? Now, the, the cornerstone passage we're going to look at this morning, but which is also the cornerstone passage for the entire series, are these verses from Matthew chapter 11, the words of Jesus. And it goes like this. And then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Those are the verses we're going to read over and over the next six weeks. These verses, when I read them, they're, they're very special to me because some years ago, uh, these are the very verses I read repeatedly to my dad as he was in his very last days. On Friday, I was downtown at the Stein Hospice Center reading these very same verses to a young man who is in his last days unless the Lord intervenes. Why would I do that? Why are these verses so important? On one hand, it, 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 these verses represent the invitation of Jesus to exchange our weariness and our burdens for soul rest, for peace. But these verses also represent his heart. What is God really like? And who doesn't want to know what God is really like in the very last days of our lives or starting right now? We'll get to the invitation of Jesus in a few moments. Let's start, let's start with his heart. And this is what Jesus says. I am humble 
and other translations uses the word lowly. I am humble or lowly and gentle at heart. When we see the word heart, what do you think of? Maybe if you're a medical person, you think of that muscle inside your chest pumping blood through your veins. Or maybe you think of Valentine's Day. This is a public announcement. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Just letting you know. I like what Dane Ortland says. He says, the, the heart in biblical terms is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. And you know, who you are inwardly is going to ultimately be reflected who you are outwardly. This is the way Jesus says it. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And we know how that goes, don't we? You have somebody who is, who is healthy at the core, and they understand the, the grace and kindness of God that has been expressed to us through Christ. And because of that, they have a tendency, a pattern of tre- treating people with grace and kindness. That's the way it's supposed to work. But we also know that a person who is unhealthy in their heart, and they do not get the grace of God and the kindness of God expressed through, to us through Christ, there is a tendency to treat people in a non-gracious way, in an unkind way, even in a mean-spirited way. And you wonder, where does that come from? And they say, well, that's not who I am. And you're thinking, that's exactly who you are, because it came out of your heart. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly at heart, humble and gentle at heart. And it was reflected in his actions, and the way he treated people, and the way he talked to people. Humble and gentle. Let's talk about his humbleness for a moment. Dane Ortland in his book, talks about the downward trajectory of a life. You know what I mean by that? I bet you've experienced it. Maybe you're a leader somewhere. You're a coach. You're a teacher. You're a parent. You're a boss. You're a manager. And at some point in your life, you have sort of set aside your authority and you've gotten down on a knee or you've stooped down beside that person, you've come alongside that person to help them in some way, even though you've got the authority. That's the downward trajectory of life. <laughs> if we were to go to Philippians chapter 2, we see the, 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 just the beautiful picture of the downward trajectory of Christ, who created the entire universe, who created you and me. And yet he takes on human flesh. You want a fancy theological term? It's the hypostatic union. That's God, fully God and fully man, coexisting in the person of Christ, who was given the name Jesus. And Jesus steps into our world, and he takes on all of our joys, but he also takes on all of our pain and our loss and our struggles and our sufferings and our betrayals, all of that, all of life, all the things we know. But it goes even deeper. His downward trajectory takes him to the cross and to death, where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is this. So that you and I, followers of Christ, would never have to suffer the separation from God. Be abandoned by God. So that we could always know that we have complete access to God our Father through faith in Christ alone. 
God is accessible. This is what Dane Ortland says. The point is saying that Jesus is low. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. That is the humbleness of Jesus, who is the full representation of God. Let's talk about the gentleness of Jesus for a moment. If we were to go outside here in downtown and talk to non-churchgoers and ask them, what is your impression of Jesus? You might get on one extreme, somebody who says, well, Jesus was sort of a, a lamb-holding, peace-loving, milquetoast kind of guy. And you think, well, I've read Scripture. That's, that's nothing like that. He is tough and he's strong. He's courageous. But on the other extreme, somebody might say, well, he's... You know, Jesus, he, he represents who God is. Well, I'll tell you who God is. God is a finger-pointing, uh, judgmental, gotcha kind of guy. Neither are correct. I like what Ortland says. He says, Jesus is not trigger-happy, nor harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. The posture most natural to him is not a, finger, uh, a pointed finger, but open arms. I want to ask you, when you think of Jesus, when you think of God, do you think of open arms? That's an important question. When you mess up, when I mess up, do we think that God just sort of wipes his hands and says, I'm done with that person now? Or do we imagine open arms? When we have our doubts and we express our doubts, do we, do we see Jesus as saying, come on. Come on, get with the program. Or do you see open arms? Come on, give me your questions. When we are angry at God for what's happening in our lives, do we imagine Jesus scorning us for being angry at God? Or do we see open arms? When you've walked away from Jesus that one more time, do you see Jesus turning his back to you? Come to me. Even trying to find you. That is the gentleness of Jesus. Open arms. And so now we've got a picture of the heart of Jesus. His humility, his downward trajectory. And the gentleness of Jesus, his open arms. If that is the heart of Jesus, doesn't that make his invitation seem that much more Attractive? This is the invitation. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Wow. Weary and heavy burdens. I need to give you the context so we understand in what way they were weary and burdened. The religious leaders of those days... They placed heavy burdens on the people. You've got to be like this. You've got to be like that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that in order to earn God's favor and, and to be sure that God loves you and you can make your way into heaven. That's the way it was for the people back then. That's the way it is for many people today. Do you feel that? 
Somehow you got to tip that cosmic scale in your favor so God will love you. Years ago, I, I, re I read a, a favorite little book called An Anchor for the Soul by, Ray, by Pastor Ray Pritchard. An Anchor for the Soul. And in it, he tells a funny story. This story is not found in Scripture. I want to be sure you know that. But it is corroborated in Scripture. And the, and the story goes like this. Peter is at the pearly gates. Already you know it's not in Scripture. Peter's at the pearly gates, and he is at the welcome desk. And the doorbell rings, and there's a man there at the door dressed so nicely. And the man says, I would like to gain entrance into heaven. I told you this is not in the Bible. And Peter says, well, welcome. We're always glad to have more people in heaven. It's just 1,000 points that you need. 1,000 points, the man thinks. Well, that's, that, that's, that's not hard. Uh, I, let me start here. I, I was very active in my community, very active in my neighborhood. I, I gave lots of money to different charitable organizations. And Peter says, that, that's, that is very impressive. That's, let's see, that's one point. And, and the man, a, a bit taken back, says, well... I was a family man. I was married to my wife for 45 years. I had five children, and I spent so much time with them, and I set them a good example, and I took them everywhere, and I did so much for my family, and I was faithful to my wife and my family. And Peter says, what? That is impressive. We don't get many stories up here like that. Uh, let's see. That's another point. And the man starts to sweat profusely. And he's, he's thinking, I was so active in my church. I mean, I sang in the choir for 22 years. Every time they passed the offering plate, I put money in it. I taught Sunday school. I greeted at the door. I made the coffee. I was, I was considered a leader in the church. And Peter says, that is a story we don't hear up here very often. Let me see. That's 1.2.3 points. That's 997 to go. And the man now, just completely exasperated, he says, But for the grace of God, who could ever get into heaven? And Peter says, Congratulations. You've just gotten 1,000 points. But by the grace of God, it's not a point system, but by the grace of God, he gained entrance. What a terrible way to live. Wondering if you've done enough, if you've done enough, if you've done enough. When do you ever know if you've done enough? How do you ever know if you've tipped God's cosmic scale enough in your favor. But yet many people live their lives like that. They did back then and they do today. I would imagine some of us in this room were raised in churches made to think that if I do this ritual and that ritual and this thing and that thing, then God will love me. Some of you are watching the Winter Olympics. Fabulous athletes. What's your favorite event? Mine's the biathlon and the uh, ski jump. I think, how in the world did they do that? I think I could do curling. But the other ones, I'm not so sure. And these athletes, they, 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 they try to earn points in order to win. They, 
They compete to get points to win. And that's the way many people live today. If I can just get enough points, maybe I will win. But by the grace of God, who can get into heaven? This is the good news. This is why we call it the gospel. That God, in the person of Jesus Christ, took our sins onto himself, the penalty of our sins onto himself. And in return, as we believe in Jesus, gives us the gift of righteousness, which gains us entrance to heaven. That's it. Story done. And all Jesus says to you and to me is, come to me. Believe. Follow me. And just Rest, rest in the righteousness of Christ. The invitation continues. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. We're not that familiar with yokes. What is a yoke? Not that yoke. That's Y-O-L-K. That yoke. You probably have to go overseas somewhere or go to Amish country to see a yoke like that. Two beasts of burden pulling the weight, doing the work. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. What does he mean? He's done the work for you. He's done the work for you. He's pulled the weight for you. He died your death on the cross. He paid your debt. And now we just simply believe and we rest. We take his yoke upon us. And as you go through life, as a Christ follower, unimaginable things will come into your life. Unbearably painful things will happen in your life. They will, they will. That's the world, the broken world we live in. But we remember, I can take the yoke of Jesus upon me because he sees what I don't, he knows what I don't, and Jesus can be trusted. And his ultimate goal for me is not so much my happiness, but to shape me more and more into the image of Christ so that one day I am ready to step beyond the grave into eternity. Dane Ortland in his book, talks about the yoke, and he says it's kind of like a life preserver. I mean, I don't like to wear orange unless it's Brown's Day, but you wear an orange life preserver. It doesn't look that fashionable, but boy, is it handy when you're floundering and shredding water and gasping for air. It keeps you afloat. We are yoked to Jesus. He is our life I just want to conclude with, with, with a couple of thoughts that we can keep in mind that come straight out of Scripture. And one is this. Jesus' first move is towards you, not away from you. Do you believe that? Matthew 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I love that word compassion. In just a couple of weeks, I'll be going deeper into that word. It has so much texture to it. The other day, uh, 
Pastor Todd and his wife Lisa were teaching a class in this room on parenting. And they quoted a lady by the name of Ann Voskamp. And she is a, an author and a speaker. And she talked about children. And this is, I want to read this quote to you. She said this, The moment I am most repelled by a child's behavior, that is my sign to draw the very closest to the child. The moment I am most repelled by a child's behavior, that is my sign to draw very closest to that child. Do you know that is compassion? Compassion is love and action, and that is the very picture of who Jesus is, the representation of who God is. And do you know, in our most rebellious moments, yours and mine, Jesus does not move away from us. He moves toward us, looking for us with open arms. That's your Jesus. That's your God. The second thing we want to keep in mind is that Jesus gently restores you with the healing balm of grace. The word balm is a word we use very often. It's a restorative agent. It's like a restorative substance. The book of Hebrews in chapter 5 says, And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. Ignorant and wayward people. It sounds like he was reading my story. I can be wayward. I can be ignorant. You know, all of us at times, we go astray. Either intentionally or unintentionally, we go astray. And it's so, it's so easy to think, well, now I've done it. Now I've tipped the scale too far away from God. Now there's no way back. Or maybe we just hide. Do you know it is not in God's nature to let you go? It is not in the nature of Jesus to let you go. He will come after you. By His Spirit, He will nudge you. And with open arms, He will welcome you back to Himself. Same, come to me. Just come to me. Don't run away. Come to me. I am full of grace. Jesus is always, always, always for you and for me. Let's pray together. And now, God, we thank you for your amazing grace expressed to us through Christ. Give us the wisdom. Give us the strength. Give us the courage to return to you and to walk with you and to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us? And as we sing, you're welcome to join in. You're welcome to just let the words wash over you. But know this is our prayer for you. This is God's heart for you, that he loves you and that he is for you. Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Uh -huh.
from Numbers chapter 6, where that song was inspired, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go and have a wonderful Sunday. <laughs> 